Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com/CSB1. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. There's a food that Americans eat six million pounds of every hour of every day. Six million pounds every hour every day, which is kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Once upon a time, this was a food that was way too expensive for regular people. It's kind of a one percenters food. It was eaten in mansions along the shore in Newport, at luncheons at hotels in New York City. People thought of it as a ladylike food, so it was often served to rich women. But when times changed and the prices dropped and the rest of us got our hands on this food, boy, did we love it. Emmeline Rood has written about the strange story of how chicken took over the American table. She's the author of Tastes Like Chicken, a history of America's favorite bird, and she's also written for Time Magazine and Vice. Emmeline, thanks for your time. Yes, thanks for having me. So at what point in your life did you think, chicken, that is totally a book? Um, Well, this project actually started off as my senior thesis in college. I'd always liked food. It's always been sort of my thing. And I remember going to a professor's office. This is actually how I start the book. And he, we were just having a conversation about a class I was taking, and he just quips, a chicken is an incredible piece of technology. Just sort of no context, no explanation. He immediately (laughs) moves on to something else. And that kind of sparked a... That is a strange idea, and looking into it, yeah. Okay, so tell me what technology is behind chicken. Like, in what way was he right that the chicken is an incredible piece of technology? <laughs> well, what's interesting about the history of the chicken, at least in the United States, the further you go back, the more you realize how much science is in both indebted to this little bird and also how much the bird has been influenced by science. A lot of the major breakthroughs in the past few centuries have been based on chicken experiments. So vaccines. Louis Pasteur discovered vaccines trying to cure foul cholera, which is a devastating chicken disease that was killing all of France's chicken flocks. Also, Charles Darwin, a lot of his evolutionary theories were based on chickens. There's this big mania in the 1850s called hen fever, where people just became obsessed with breeding really fancy chickens. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite hilarious. There's some a lot of documents back in the day that talk about people. people it's like the Beanie Baby bubble. People I know you can never tell what what fads are going to be, and sometimes yeah. apparently they're hens. Yeah, people were paying thousands upon thousands of dollars for fancy chickens, <laughs> and they were breeding incredible birds. Actually, a lot of the the heritage breeds that we talk about today, that a lot of like the slow food movement and farm-to-table advocates right. are really into, they came from this hen fever hmm. in the 1850s. Um, and Darwin saw this and saw the great variation people were producing really quickly with their birds. And that helped cement uh, his ideas on species change. So l- let's go back to why chicken, even sort of beyond the science of it and every stuff, why is chicken such a big deal in the U.S.? So you've written that I think this is a quote, never before in modern history has a food risen so quickly in national eating favor. What happened that chicken became so popular in the U.S.? Like what enabled that? So, well, part of it is that just the technology. We have transformed 
a very expensive, very seasonal, not frequently eaten commodity into one of the cheapest proteins available, largely through the breeding, through the science, through the intensive farming. And at the same time, we have a huge shift in what we understand healthy eating. Granted, now a lot of people are pushing back against the idea that low-fat diets are good for you. But when this hit in the 1960s and 1970s, there's a huge transition away from what Americans typically ate, which was beef, pork, and a lot of wheat, Mm -hmm. to chicken, which at this point was finally super cheap that people could eat it every day. In 1959, there's a thing that the USDA called the broiler depression. Basically, uh, up until this time, the chicken industry had just been building, building, building. Chickens were getting cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. You have vertical integration. You have all the science. You actually have a breeding program sponsored by the government in 1948 called the Chicken of Tomorrow Contest. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, it's a great name all of a sudden, for a competition, the Chicken yes, of they Tomorrow. Did, and they did produce the, ch- the chicken of today, actually. We're eating that hmm. same chicken now, basically. <laughs> hmm. um, but so you get all this. In the 1950s, chicken is super cheap. It's the cheapest it's never been. They're producing billions of birds a year for the first time, but no one was eating it. There was no cultural incentive for people to want to eat chicken. For a long time, people only ate chicken because it was kind of prestigious. It was like lobster. Right, chicken right. was expensive. It was for the Sunday suppers, for a fancy meal. And now, all of a sudden, chicken was just sort of like a cheap thing in the grocery store. And it wasn't until you get the cholesterol scare and this whole shift, the U.S. government telling people explicitly to eat less red meat, eat more poultry, then people actually start to eat chicken. Right. So you talked about the chicken of tomorrow. What is the difference between the chicken of yesterday and then the chicken of tomorrow, which now is the chicken we eat, the chicken that was sort of created is like, wow, this is going to be the chicken of the future, which is the, the current chicken we all know yeah. and potentially love. So we, so this chicken is called a commercial broiler, if you want to speak industry terms. It is just a very heavily selected, rapidly growing strain of chicken. A lot of people say that that chickens are, they like to say falsely, that chickens are are genetically modified. No. This is sort of the the miracle of the chicken. It's so easy to breed in specific ways. that This chicken grows so fat, so fast, that if it were a human baby born (laughs) six pounds, within two months, that baby would weigh 660 pounds. That's how fast this modern chicken grows. I'm so glad human babies aren't like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's quite... It's incredible. Hmm. I mean, in some aspects, it's a little horrifying because, like, the chicken's genetics outpace its physical capacity. Sometimes the chicken can't even uphold its own body weight because it grows so quickly, so large. But this is the most efficient way we've ever learned how to make protein, animal protein. I'm Kara Miller. You're listening to Innovation Hub, and I'm talking to Emmeline Rood, author of Tastes Like Chicken, A History of America's Favorite Bird. I think when a lot of people think about fast food and the rise of the fast food industry in America, we think about beef because, like, the McDonald's hamburger, Burger King. But chicken is so actually important in in thinking about sort of the commodification of food, you know, turning food into these little packages like... KFC, the Chicken McNugget, which is, I mean, I loved Chicken McNuggets when I was a kid. It's like a miracle of science when I think about it. I mean, I just accepted it when I was seven, but now it's like, wait a minute, that doesn't look like a chicken. There's no bones. What's going on? There's no skin. Like, what is happening? So 
when did chicken start to cross over into something that was so highly uh, like commercialized and packaged? Well, so the poultry savant behind the chicken nugget um, <laughs> is a man named Robert Baker. He was actually a food scientist at Cornell University. And a lot of his work was happening in the 1960s, 1970s. Basically, chicken has never been an easy commodity to grow. It's kind of hard to sort of wrap your mind around it when today we have Tyson Foods and Purdue, all these huge chicken producers that are worth billions of dollars. But the only reason they, they make money is they make a few cents on the pound, which is it's almost negligible. Hmm. And they only do it because of large volume. So farmers have always had a really difficult time making money off of chickens. And Robert Baker was a, a poultry extension agent, so he would go around and try to see what was wrong with farmers, try to help them improve their growing, basically, so they could make more money. And he realized that the, the supply side was limited. There's only so efficiently a chicken producer could raise their chickens and make money. So he, he dedicated himself to the demand. He wanted to make value-added chicken products that would both benefit farmers, give them more money, and also use a lot of the, the wasted parts of the chicken, like the backs, the necks, the, right. the less desirable bits. Um, and so at his Cornell laboratory, one of his first inventions was this thing called the chicken crispy, which we know today as the chicken nugget, basically huh. pulverized chicken meat with filler, breaded, deep fried. So that's the parts of the chicken that are, like, not the part you can market as well in the store. Like, chicken breast yeah. is chicken. obviously very desirable. Yeah, the supermarkets call that the Cadillac of the chicken, the chicken breast. Okay. <laughs> um, so so basically he tried to use the, the little forgotten bits because they're okay. just as nutritious. They're just as protein-filled. And um, they'd be presumably thrown away anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be, to be fair, the chicken industry and a lot of the meat industries, they're super efficient, so I'm sure they would be go, going to, like, pet food or fish mm -hmm, food or something, mm -hmm. but... Human consumption gets gets more money to the farmers, so he he made them into a whole bunch of products. So chicken nuggets for him, chicken hot dogs, chicken hamburgers, chicken bologna, something called chicken chunk lona. Um, basically, every <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to have to stop you. What is chicken chunk lona? I'm going to look for like... this in the store or make it at home. Well, it doesn't exist. He invented it anymore. He he had a lot of hits and misses, to be completely honest. Uh, it was just sort of like a chicken, a chicken loaf, essentially. Okay. Chicken chunk Kelowna. Got it. But yeah, he created something like sixty plus value added chicken products out of his laboratory. So I don't know if it's if it's irony, if you think it's a noble, but all these value added chicken products are worth billions of dollars, and Robert Baker gave them all away for free. Hmm. So, um, you know, chicken isn't just eaten in America. It's eaten almost everywhere, like almost yes. in every country. I wonder uh, what you see happening, like, you know, especially in places like China and India, as mm -hmm. hundreds of millions of people start eating more meat and kind of rise into the middle class. And and this is um, a food that is relatively cheap and kind of accessible. Is their appetite for chicken at all reminiscent of Americans' appetite for chicken? Because that's a big appetite. Yeah. Well, yes, definitely. Um, this is probably one of the more eye-opening parts of my research is that the American chicken and the American chicken growing model is expanding everywhere across the world. Chicken is the largest growing facet of meat consumption besides fisheries, but you can debate some of the data. And a lot of it is driven by 
our very specific type of chicken raising, the, the intensive factory farms with these very fast-growing chickens. And chicken consumption around the globe is skyrocketing. As a culinary historian, on one hand, I think this is great because it's more more accessible protein for a lot of people who were unable to eat meat before, just couldn't afford it. But then on the other side, I see sort of a, I don't know if this is apocalyptic, but sort of the hegemony of chicken. You see in the U.S. history, you go back hundreds of years and you see the cookbooks are are filled with tons of different things to meet. You have turtles, you have venison, you have veal, you have lobster, you have crayfish, you have you have all these diverse recipes. Hmm. And as you go through this trajectory of American history, you just get more and more boneless, skinless chicken breast hmm. as the main ingredient of the meal, which um, as somebody who kind of likes the, the looking at strange, unusual recipes, as we go forward, there will be less and less of those be, just because chicken is so cheap and so accessible and so easy to cook, which is good and bad depending yeah. on how you look at it. Do, do you also worry that as... Um chicken raising becomes more popular and more and more millions of chickens are, you know, raised in a certain way, raised really, really quickly. Do you worry about kind of the ethical questions of looking at chicken as just like a piece of technology? We were talking about it being Mm -hmm. a piece of technology or like just a commodity, that that sort of approach to it. So again, this is, it depends on how you view it. I'm more I don't eat very much meat in general so I'm not too big of a fan of sort of a lot of the what people see as cruelties in this industry but at the same time if people are going to eat meat this is the most efficient way to produce it in terms of environmental impact in terms of resource use so I guess it it depends on whether you view it as a justifiable means to an end Mm. In some ways. And a lot of people, I think this is a lot of the reason why chicken has sort of been less of the animal rights focus has been on chicken as compared to beef and pork just because of the nature of the animal itself. People, I guess, feel less of a kindred spirit with birds Hmm. than they do with the larger mammals. And so a lot of ways, the treatment of the chicken, people feel less viscerally upset about it. Even though PETA says the chicken is the most abused animal on the planet, according to their views of the world Hmm. Um, and you see a rise in companies like beyond meat and stuff and even in vitro meat meat tissues without an animal attached to it so as a society we have to determine what is acceptable and what those costs were willing to bear for basically cheap meat right was it weird for you writing a whole book hundreds of pages you're you're researching like the history of chicken and and looking at how it became a big deal and who were kind of the stars of of uh-huh. you know the chicken world and and entrepreneurs who who changed the fate of chicken and all that and like you don't really like chicken that much was that a weird thing well in some ways yes i think i think outsiders think it's a little weirder than i do because it's just fascinating it's such an important part of american life you see all these books about World War II and great presidents, but how many people fought in World War II still alive today? How many people met these great presidents? And how many people eat chicken? You know? Um, <laughs> That's one way so. of putting it, yeah. <laughs> Do the funky chicken. Right on, right on, right on. Emmeline Rood is the author of Tastes Like Chicken, a history of America's favorite bird, 
Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs>